Eiser by the sales, sir. Eiser by the pet station takes them home to Lizer. Good afternoon. At least it looks like it should be, since this is a pre-recorded show. It's time for Boat Talk here on Community Radio, WERU-FM Blue Hill and WERU.org. I'm Alan Sprague, here with the other rusty anchor, Mike Joyce, and shiny new anchor, John Johansson. Boat Talk used to be a call-in show, but... But for now, it's being taped in a hermetically sealed jar, so we can't take phone calls. But you can email us at boattalk at gmail.com. We're going to start the show with John giving the latest lobster boat racing news and boatyard report. Well, the other thing we can talk about is lobster boat racing. We needed scuba gear for the last two. I uh, uh, heard it was quite wet. Yeah. Well, you know, let's let's go back to uh, Stonington and Wild Wild West set the record again. It's now 61.6 when they were finally done. But we know that there's more in the tank that they're not showing us. But it's there's also seems to be some more interest in some boats coming out next year to challenge them. And so it could be interesting uh, in that realm. But uh, in Stonington, we had good races. We had about, I think it was around 75 boats. Uh, It was a good day. It was a beautiful day. I think the day before was a little challenging for some of the boats to get there for the night. Uh, Friendship was just plain nasty. We only had like 36, 37 boats there. Uh, the weather, and it had been forecast, and they, amazingly, the weatherman was right. And uh, but we had good races. Uh, the top dog there was uh, Blue Eyed Girl, uh, which is Andy uh, Taylor out of uh, Southport Island in uh, Northern Bay 38 with a 900 horsepower uh, Scania, and uh, he cleaned up. I mean, he won his class. He won diesel free-for-all, and he won the fastest working lobster boat, which is now known as the Andy Gove Memorial Cup uh, at Stonington. Uh, and then he won also at uh, Friendship the same thing. He won his class. He won his... So he's the dominant boat when Wild Wild West doesn't show up. And of course, Wild Wild West is not a work boat. It's a, it's a play boat. And Glenn will tell you that. That's why we created on his behalf. He asked us to create uh, class O because O is for non-working boats in the diesel classes. So, uh, but Harpswell, that was interesting. It, there, there was a, uh, I, as a race committee member and the one that's holding the policy on the insurance, uh, we all hoped that the uh, skiff races would go without an incident, and they did, fortunately. One guy did show me the seat he had broken when he hit the seat so hard that it actually snapped it in half on a Boston whaler, <laughs> you know. But wow. uh, for the most part, uh, the big winner there was actually uh, Down East Nightmare, which was one of Jeremy Beale's early boats, which was called Maria's Nightmare One. And uh, she's been repowered with a thousand horsepower uh, Chevrolet engine and with a blower. And uh, 
he was able to go through the ways pretty good. Uh, if you looked at the newsletter that I sent out uh, this morning, you can see the wave going by the house <laughs> that he went through. And he was able to keep ahead of the big boats because the big boats had a real easy time going through the chop, you know. So the photographs were really good. And sometimes some people like it when it's raining because the sky is black and the waves coming off the bow are absolutely white. So, huh. so our next race is Winter Harbor. Uh, what is it? Two weekends into the month of uh, August. And then we the next day we're at Pemaquin. And then the following weekend we're at uh, Long Island in Portland. So that concludes the season. Uh, Boatyard News, there's still a lot going on. Of course, one of the biggest projects is down at Portland Yacht Services, where Richard Stanley is heading the project of a 55-foot power cruiser that was built by Greeby in Maryland in the mid-1950s. And he strengthened the, uh, or he is strengthening, they removed the whole bottom, uh, you know, replaced the frames as needed, floors, that sort of thing, to stiffen her up because she's going to get two great big diesels in her. She had gas engines in her, and they're going to change them out. So that's one of the biggest projects right now. Mostly that you, uh, what you're seeing is you, uh, most of the ads are just trying to keep everybody going, you know. And a big problem is uh, trying to get stuff. You, you can't yeah. right now. Engine companies are telling you 50 weeks before you can get an engine. So it's a year out before you can get some of these outboards, so which is kind of uh, sad. Uh, we just came back from the Boat Builders show, which happened last weekend. The attendance was down a little bit, uh, but there were buyers there. Uh, Joe Lowell, uh, who's now Down East Yachts, is, uh, uh, we think he may have got an order. Glenn Holland had a lot of interest. He was there because... Uh, and I know all about them guys because they were right next to my booth, which was, you know, inside one of the big bays. But what was obvious about that show was that the potential is huge. you got a waterfront. You've got acres of land that is basically unused in the summer, but, but except for parking. The parking was free, they offered. So I think next year you'll see that show uh, really grow because one of the pluses for that one is, is how close it is, is to southern New England. And you don't have to go, you know, you can do that in a day. You can come up from Connecticut. You can come up from Rhode Island. You, and the North Shore, there was a lot of people from the Boston area at this show. Next, John and I talked with Megan Fry about a big, interesting project she has undertaken. Yeah, my, my original thought about this started about a decade ago. Uh, when I was living in Scotland in the Hebrides and was introduced to these old ships that took young people uh, out for weeks at a time. And um, and I saw that there was quite a powerful, it was quite a powerful experience for people. And then my life took me to Alaska and I started sailing off the coast of Alaska and I realized that there there is nothing like a sail training vessel uh, of any kind in Alaska and um, there's a great opportunity for for a boat to take people that live on the coast or inland out to sea so that they 
can experience the water that they live on or near. Um, so over the last decade, I've, I've worked on sailboats, mostly a few fishing boats all over the world. And I've just stowed away people, people in my mind that I think would work well together, whether it be the marketing side of things, captains, cooks, engineers, uh, someone to build a website, a logo. And I've, I've planted seeds with these shipmates of mine uh, for many years. And I said, just remember this moment because someday I might call you up and say, I've, I've started this, this dream and now it's becoming a reality. So, um, so that, that started at the beginning of this year after, after having a, a near, a very close call with the ocean down in the Gulf of Mexico. It was another sign that told me life is short and, um, time to to make action with this this dream of yours to do something about it so that's that's what i'm doing now and the hope is that ocean's dream will be able to provide a platform for people ages 16 to 21 uh, so that we can take them to sea and they can connect with themselves and nature and that's my dream So you've picked out a boat, right? Yeah, yeah, it's insane. Can you t can you describe that boat for us? A seventy foot schooner, steel. Uh, she's a classic nineteen seventy two Joyce Lee, and uh, she's from she's built in France, but she's currently now in Spain, and she she has been used as Ireland sail trading vessel for the last twenty years. So she's run by a nonprofit called the Spirit of Oysterhaven out of Cork, Ireland. And uh, the couple that has owned her um, would like to, to see her carry on their legacy with another nonprofit. So um, they're very enthusiastic that Ocean's Dream can be, can be the, the right organization. What's, what's the ramifications of a French vessel? Are you going to hail out of the United States? Yeah. Yeah. We'll have to change the, uh, go through the Jones act and, um, get the right paperwork and find the right maritime lawyer. But, um, yeah, it's just another obstacle. If this is the right vessel, things will work out. There are many vessels that can do this job. This is the one that has caught our interest and, uh, and it's already set up to do what we want to do. But I am keeping an open mind uh, because I realize there are many, many boats that could do this job. How did you get into sailing? Yeah, so I, I didn't get into sailing until I was 29. Uh, the first time I went sailing was on a passage from the Isle of Egg in the Hebrides down to Ireland. Yeah. And I was hooked. And what were you sailing on? A 1921 catch, a one-off. Yeah. Uh, my, my dear friend Simon, it was his boat. He had owned her for 30 years, and um, Lola was her name. And we sailed for three weeks, and I just, uh, my life had been changed. I knew it. I, I was bitten very hard. <laughs> and one of the days, we, we were sailing past the Belfast Loch in the mist, and all of these beautiful old traditionally rigged sailing ships 
came out of the lock and I looked at Simon, my dear friend, and I said, what is this? <laughs> what are these boats? And he looked at me and he said, this must be the, the race, probably some tall ships race, a regatta. And I said, well, can we get closer? So we sailed right amongst all of them, the Christian Roddick, Solandit, the Bounty, when she was still floating. And uh, it was incredible. And I, I remember looking at these people thinking, how did you get on these boats? I, I want to do that. <laughs> so, so I did. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Now, you know, this weekend is uh, the Egebog and Reach Regatta. I've have heard that. Been, have you ever been to that? No, my first time in Maine was May 10th of this year. So I've, I've got a lot to experience. But the Camden Regatta is also this weekend and I'm, I'm working. That's why I'm here. I'm a captain on one of these boats. Have you approached any uh, educational organizations, either uh, schools or something like the NEA or any people like that to see if there's any sort of funding for what you want to do? Yes. Um, there are many layers to building anything that might have a chance in this world. Uh, so... I'm taking all of this in stride and learning as I go. Uh, one of these pillars will, will be academia world. And I have reached out to a few places on the East Coast and the West Coast. Um, so it's, it's, there is an interest and uh, it makes me very hopeful that these schools, these charter schools can use Ocean Stream as their vessel. Uh, we, we would like to sail out of the Pacific Northwest originally or initially. So um, uh, there's interest to, to go up to Alaska and uh, sail those waters and use the vessel as a, a diving platform to take the students out to be able to dive off and, and uh, look at certain corals and do collect some data um, for their projects. So, so that's very good. Um, and we would like to eventually get creation from these schools. So connect with either a high school or a university and, and be able to give credit to these students that spend four to seven weeks with us. Um, but all of this takes time and uh, we want to do it right and not rush into anything. It's one thing to have a dream, but um, this is very important to me because I know it can change people's lives in a good way. And so I want to take the right steps to make sure that we, we can be successful. Have you had any roadblocks yet? Sure. Mostly is uh, time and energy. <laughs> <laughs> uh, yes. Um, you know, holding a, a 12 hour a day job, um, as well as just finding time to breathe and, and then networking. Uh, all of this, of course, takes an immense amount of time and um, putting yourself out there. And right now I am the spokesperson and I'm happy to do it. However, uh, I'm just one of myself. <laughs> It'd be great if I could duplicate well. myself. have a few Megan Fries out there. Um, so, yeah, the obstacles right now is, is just being patient with all of this. Oh, and then there's the money part. That could be looked at as an obstacle. 
How much do you think you're going to need just to get going? Yeah, realistically, about a million dollars. If, you know, if we want to buy a boat that's seaworthy and 70 feet long, uh, plus have money to be a substantial startup nonprofit so that we're not constantly treading water or trying to keep our head above water as we're, we're trying to fill the, ber the berths. Uh, we need some, some money saved or accessible so that we can provide it when things come up that we didn't anticipate so uh, do, you, do you have a, a deadline as to when you know, how long you can take before you can actually buy the boat they the boat uh has been for sale for two years so they are very eager to sell her um they're also very patient right now with us because they truly would like to see Ocean Stream take this boat and carry her forward. But they need to move on too. So there is an unspoken deadline. Uh, right now we're, we have a crowdfunding campaign that is going to last until August, August 15th. And uh, our target is $100,000 to raise in that, that time span. Right now we've raised around $36,000. So it's a draw in the bucket. Um, but I think it's a matter of time. You know, if, if it's right and if we're meant to have that boat, then somehow things will unfold and that'll be our boat. And if not, then they'll sell it to some, someone else and, uh, and we'll look, we'll look in another, another part. So this would be a good time then to give your contact for information so that anybody who would like to help knows what to do. Great. Yeah, you can find us out on www.oceansdream.org and the link to our crowdfunding website is on our, our webpage. We're also on Instagram and Facebook and then you can also email us at info at oceanstream.org. Okay. Well, very good. I think um, you have a lot to offer. I certainly hope that you're, you're able to make it come together. Thank you, Alan. Okay. Yes. Thank you, John. Nice to meet you both. That's Megan Fry. And her website, again, is oceansdream.org. Next, Mike and I talk with a couple of voices WERU listeners may recognize. Greg Russell, host of A World of Music, 6 to 8 on Sunday evenings, and Rich Hillsinger, former On the Wing host. Greg's day job is boat builder, and Rich is the retiring head of the Wooden Boat School. Together, they put together a series of videos about wooden boat building. Rich talks about the beginning. Putting ideas together on how we could do it. And we knew that we wanted to do, you know, short features. We didn't want it to be a how to build a wooden boat, you know, from A to Z, so to speak. Because as both of you fellows certainly understand 
boat building is one of those, uh, you know, one of those things that you, it's a, it's a, it's a hands-on activity. You have to, you have to learn it. I don't think you, at least I don't think you can learn it in, in, uh, videos or PowerPoints or, or that type of approach. So Greg and I, what we wanted to do, we wanted to come up with just little, uh, tidbits on techniques and uh, shortcuts and just advice on taking the intimidation out of boat building and and uh, presented it in a way so that it would be a nice resource to use when you get involved with your boat building project. And I'm sure Greg wants to add to that. Well, sure. Well, there also, of course, was the always was the problem that that not everyone can make it to wooden boat. I mean, we've, we've you know, we've, we've done teaching at the school, with, you, know, you know, with the different classes for years and years and years. But, they, they, you know, despite the pandemic, there always was a case where just sometimes people can't make it to the school and see you know, see these techniques played out in front of in front of us. And uh, we had the we had the classroom available. And we had had the, the the tools. We had the backdrop, and it seemed like a perfect time to be able to offer these classes. So, like Rich says, it's a lot of it is vignettes or small. They're they're oh whatever it is, cutting cutting a rabbit or fitting a fort or something that's like bite sized bits of pieces. As you guys know, there's just there's so many different things, uh, techniques and boat building. So you can't do them all but you can do a few of them well. And I think we have, and we have not, you know, we decided that we didn't want to have just three minutes. Okay, here's, here's how you cut a rabbit in three minutes because that's not really serving the topic well, or, you know, how to, how to make small tools or how to, how to do steam bending. And we, but we broke it up, we break it up into, into segments. I don't think any of them are longer than 20 minutes. Are they rich? I don't, I don't think so. Some of them go from anywhere from 20 minutes to, and maybe we cover a couple different subjects. They go to 45 minutes, or maybe there's a couple of them that go go are an hour or an hour, a little longer broke, than an hour. But they're broken up into blocks, so you know, yes. yeah, so you could, yeah, they're sort of bite sized. You can, you can take it from here, and then you can stop, and then you can go to there, and you can stop, and then you go to there. And we also <laughs> wanted to make it user-friendly so we have uh, additional learning materials as, as, as part of it as well so it's resources that we can offer the students so they can continue on references that we also <laughs> wanted to be fun because yeah. that's that, that's been that's always been about what the school's been about is you know the the access to experience but also is that as access to having a good time while while doing the work right um <laughs> Since several people who listen to boat talk really aren't um, don't know anything at all about boats, they just kind of like the program. They've told us this before, um, and some of them may be even vegetarians. And I'm worried about what you said about cutting a rabbit. I think we ought to just describe what that is. Uh, well, no, no actual re- animals were hurt in the process, <laughs> but yes, cut. Cutting a rabbit is with a conventional, uh, traditional boat building, at least in New England, and usually involves cutting in a, a notch into the stem or keel to allow the planking to fit into. And it's a, 
it's a curious uh, procedure because it's a compound bevel that, as those planks wrap around the hull and attack that stem, they come at different angles. And uh, you can do it, uh, you know, by eye, the traditional way of the way they did it probably for hundreds of years by just sampling it by wrapping, uh, you know, a strip of wood around the hull that simulates the plank and you can cut a notch to match it. But the way that we show it is a way that you can you can use your blueprints and blow them up full size, lofting, and then you can cut that that notch that with a compound bevel right on the bench. It's faster, it's easier, and you can have a cup of coffee right next to you, which is much better. Huh. Rich, it sounds like you've turned the COVID liability into an asset opportunity because you shot shops were empty. What's your uh, profile on the waterfront this season? Anybody in the shops? What's happening? Yeah. Yeah, Mike. You know, after lengthy uh, meetings and discussions all this past winter and early spring, Wooden Boat decided we we could uh, create a, a safe environment here. And uh, at least we wanted to give it a try. So uh, it really was just hours and hours and hours of get-togethers and meetings and and ideas and plan A, plan B, plan C. And uh, we finally were able to put together a, 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 a real blueprint on how we could create a safe environment here. Uh, um, and we opened up again in uh, May and uh, the, the, uh, the response is that as usually is every year we'll 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 finish this season with close to 800 people here. The biggest difference this year is that everybody's from within the U.S. because of the borders being closed, so we don't have any international students taking mm -hmm. part. But after we were closed for a year, boy, there were a lot, a lot of people who really missed it and really were looking forward to coming back, and that's been the uh, sort of the the scenario that's been playing out for us this year. A lot of alumni have coming back, but also a lot of first time students uh, also participating. You know, people wanting to get out of the house and use their hands. And uh, the vast majority of our courses are filled this year. Uh, we've, uh, you know, we've had to change our whole dining facility and and our shop complex just to create social distancing and, and uh, to create this, you know, this safe environment. Anybody who participates in any of our waterfront classes has to be vaccinated before they come. Um, everybody else uh, in the shop courses, so on and so forth, strongly encouraged to be va uh, get their vaccine, but they at least have to have a, uh, a negative test 48 hours prior to their arrival. And we're very uh, pleased to say that out of the 780, 90 some people who have registered for classes between 98 and 99% of them have gotten their vaccines. And uh, so that made our job a lot easier in regards to hosting these classes and not uh, having to deal with um, a lot of folks who were for whatever reason or reasons, I don't understand it, but who chose not to get uh, vaccines. So. It's, it was interesting with the fact that our shops were empty last year. It was just the perfect time for Greg and I and Truman to get together and pull this off because 
when the classes are running, it's, it's really next to impossible to shoot any sort of a video because of the noise level. And it would be too distracting for students who have paying to come here and take mm. courses for a film crew to be in there shooting and so on and so forth. So that was one of the mm -hmm. blessings in disguise. You know, the fact that we were closed down, we were able to take on this video project. The classes, uh, the video classes are comprehensive and we try to include all different steps, which means that you have to do a lot of preparation so that you don't leave things out. And so again, so on the front end with doing the scripting and the props, and then there's the middle part, which is the filming, which is kind of the fun part. And then there's the end part of it, what Truman does with, with the, uh, the editing is sort of the magic sauce that puts it all together. Yeah. Speak more of some of the subjects you've covered. Uh, yeah, well, we started off with uh, reading and understanding boat plans because, you know, until you can get that skill down, uh, unless you're building a kit boat, you know, there's really no, uh, there's no, uh, uh, it, it makes no sense to, to jump into something unless you really understand what's going on when you're looking at a set of boat plans. So uh, that was the first episode that we did. Greg put together a wonderful compilation of looking at three different designs and it was done in four parts and we've gotten a lot of great feedback on the whole series but a lot of people really appreciated that because there's a surprising number of people out there who are interested in boat building but just can get intimidated by trying to understand boat plans and as Greg will tell you you know each designer takes a different approach toward creating boat plans. Sometimes it's a single sheet, and then sometimes it's eight sheets. Greg, take over. Yeah, and so it is very, very different. You know, as you guys are well aware that, you know, that boat building still kind of like the Wild West or, or the 16th century version of, uh, of mapping. You know, most, most plans are kind of, you know, as far as whether it's carpentry or architecture or whatever, uh, pretty standardized their plans. Both plans are more kind of like you can expect the dragons on, on the corner and different scales and different different ways that the you know that each designer and builder would have their special way of presenting a set of plans. It can be confusing to to someone rolling out a set of plans. Says this doesn't look anything like the last set of plans I had. And what is this thing about scales and and why isn't all the information put in front of me and why aren't all the numbers there? And so that that was and that is, doesn't even get into the, the drawing the full scale drawing them full scale lofting this is just getting to see what is on the plan how, how it's presented so that was that's how we started off because we figured that would get people sort of founded into you know thinking about this is more than just a casual uh, you know cut and fold and insert tab and a into slot b you know, I mean, every set of plans, there's exceptions to them. And, and the table of offsets, you know, for a lot of people, they look at that and their eyes just go crossed. They don't really understand, you know, the whole uh, purpose of a table of offsets and all the information that is just in that, in that grid of numbers. I think Greg would agree. I, that was the perfect way to start off. And then we what slid into the episode two was a, a, a three-part series on on laying out and creating station molds, how to, how to do that. 
you know, a lot of people aren't really familiar with that. And again, unless you're building a boat from a, a set of plants that has uh, station molds incorporated into the, into the plants, full size uh, patterns and molds, well, you're out of luck if you don't know how to, you know, create that, uh, those various station molds for the construction jig. And then we got into what Greg was talking about a little while ago about laying out and cutting a stem rabbit. And uh, that, was, uh, that was very well done. And then we got into steam boxes and how they work and bending, uh, you know, oak frames and ribs into boats. Uh, that's always a crowd pleaser. And then we got into a, a cool uh, episode uh, on homemade, uh, making your own tools, everything from clamps to measuring tools. And, you know, you look at any accomplished boat builders toolbox, uh, like you, Mike, you have tools in your, in your box that you made for certain situations that you only use maybe once when you're in that situation, but it's nice to have that tool when you need it. And we got a lot of really cool feedback on that because sometimes people just don't think that they can make their own tools for, you know, situations that they find themselves in. Then we got into spiling, you know, I mean, everybody always has questions about how to spile planks and all different sorts of ways to do it. And that's one of the things that we constantly bring up in this whole series is this is one way to do it. There's a lot of different approaches you can take, but we're showing you one way to do it. And uh, how to drill accurately for long bolt holes. We, the, the latest episode that just came out yesterday or today was uh, a three-part series on fitting thwarts, the role they play structurally in a boat, and then how to get accurate measurements so that you can do it right. First time. First time without, you know, without, uh, without uh, too many mistakes. And just talked about the aesthetics of inter, uh, interior boat joinery and, and, and so on and so forth. And, and Greg can mention some of the things that are, that are coming in the months ahead. Well, yeah, it's uh, fitting knees, for example into uh, boats and breast hooks and you know what you know, what goes into making a, a product that is just you know is, is, that is an architectural strength item rather than just something not only they have uh, want to look right and and have a professional look but actually have the strength and different techniques to fit knees again so you don't waste material and that it's done accurately and looks good but there's, there's, there's uh, Eric Dow did a wonderful uh, series on, on model, half model making and sharpening in there. And, you know, it's all, you know, a, a bunch of different topics. There's one, each month, another one comes out, pops out of the oven, more or less. To get uh, a young boat builder from originally from Richmond, Maine, Milo Stanley, who uh, did a wonderful series on uh, spar construction, making a wooden spar. And uh, we do another one down the road coming up that uh, Greg covers all the different kinds of scarf joints. And uh, so, and then, you know, now we're thinking of, uh, you know, the next, uh, the next run of videos after, after the first year. Uh, it's been fairly successful. I think we, it, it's, a, it's a series that you have to subscribe to. So this series will end in, the last one is in January, I think, or February. We started in February, so I guess it winds up in January. So Greg and I are starting to kick around ideas for the next 12-month series, and 
we're going to bring some other people into it. Roland Thurlow from over in Dover Foxcroft, who's just a wonderful cedar and canvas canoe maker. He's going to do an episode for us. Erica Moody, who's a wonderful uh, metal worker. Erica is down near, uh, oh, down near Warren. That's where her studio is. She teaches a course for us, uh, metal working for boat builders and woodworkers. So Erica is going to do a piece for us. And then uh, uh, Greg has some other ideas that he's going to do uh, presenting. We know we eventually have to get into lofting. You know, a lot of people have been clamoring for that. That's a tricky one. We're not sure exactly how we're going to do that one yet because there's, you know, that's going to take a lot of work to, to, to create a, 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 an episode so that it's people can, uh, so it's done in a way that people can understand the whole process of lofting. And still Greg, you, along. Yeah, and Greg, you know, Greg will mention some other ideas that he has in the back of his mind in regards to, you know, what we want to present to to folks. We have a a woman from down in the Rockland area who's going to do a, an episode on uh, varnishing for us. But the, the one of the one of the uh, bonuses that we have for being being at at the school for so many years that uh, Richmond Rich has been there since since the early cavemen were around and I've, I've been there for 34 years and that you know you realize that the same questions usually come up again and again and again the the the, the questions the, the techniques people want to know about it and you just know what they're going to be every single class you teach it it comes up again so we have a pretty good idea of of topics to shoot at greg Roussel, we were speaking to half models in the book yeah. I believe you've just written, not your first either, I'm suspecting. Yes. Well, that, that of course, grew out of the classes. Uh, I always use uh, half models in my lofting classes because it, it, there's no better way to try to ex explain how lines work than to actually make a half model because the same lines that are on your set of plans show up on the model. And so, man, I'd say, well, I love making them. And I and my students really like making them, and and there's some um, there's techniques that uh, that are not new, but sometimes are not used by shown in other model model making books about how to make an accurate model. Because in the in the case of the models that we build in the classes, I'm primarily interested in the accuracy, and so so this is this is a I have my students make a, a model the same scale of the plants that they're lofting you know they so if it's a one and a half inch to the foot that's what the model is made to and so to make the model it's so it's accurate and that you're working safely so that you don't you know you don't get you know spoil the model or hurt yourself when cutting cutting it out and it, it's not a pretty good you know, it seems to be working pretty well for people what's the title of the book and the publisher please well, it's uh, it's uh, it's self-published uh, this this particular one, and it's just half uh, building half models, and it's and it's a uh, it, you know wooden boat carries it, and of course it's on uh, at bookstores and on Amazon, and it's it's an interesting uh, thing to see you know how those books will travel you know around they they seem to get be show up all over the world you know, you know but but it's a uh, it's just it's a it's a fun thing, and I think when I when I was learned uh, learned went to boat building school with a with a state vocation boat tech, 
that was one of the first things they had us do. And I realized how, how important it is for, for anyone to understand how a boat works. It's making a model of it. And I've, I've always used uh, half models when I draw, you know, come up with a new design, take, take lines off an existing boat. Before I ever tried to uh, build a boat, I want to see what it looks like. And because you can see problems, if there are any problems. The same thing if I loft a new, uh, someone else's design, I want to know what the boat's going to look like before I spend the time building it. So, Greg, um, have you had any feedback from the videos yet? Any uh, mirrored proposals or anything yet? <laughs> well, it, as we, uh, we uh, do get feedback. We actually get a, uh, a considerable amount of uh, feedback. People uh, having questions that, that uh, you know, that they say, well, you know, you know, had one the other day. A uh, fellow was wondering about making uh, homemade tools to, to, to put out whales onto a fiberglass boat. And so, you know, have, have questions like that. Um, got one just the other day. I don't know if you saw this one, Rich. There was a guy who was wondering where I buy my shirts from. <laughs> 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 and so I, I was able to help him out with giving him a source for that. So yeah, they, the questions uh, <laughs> come, come in are, are, are varied and they're, they're neat because that's that we want. We want feedback, see how it, how it's doing it. And the whole idea is to have, you know, we don't have the interaction like we have during the classroom where people can ask questions directly to us. But with uh, the feedback through the videos, we can we can see what's going on. And if someone has a question, we can answer it. Hmm. Greg, I have to ask, are you a real bow builder or do you actually have shirts that don't have any paint or glue <laughs> on them? <laughs> Well, uh, I was advised by my fashion consultant to 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 wear nice clothes, <laughs> but I I do have painty clothes. Yeah, I even brushed my teeth. <laughs> We've stayed away from the makeup. I almost married a woman who kept clothes I was only allowed to wear under supervision <laughs> because everything else got paint and glue on it. Yeah. Yeah. Uh. Well, uh, thank you both. Before we get shut off, there, it's been uh, enjoyable. I'm gonna have to. Uh, uh, well, it's great seeing you guys. It's been yeah. been, been a been a long time. Even now, now that you know the stations opened up again, so that you know you can be the, be at the station because I I was producing shows for 15 months from home. But you still don't see hardly anyone at all. So it's great to see your faces. Yeah. Before we sign off, we should give the website for people. Oh, uh, please. It's, uh, yeah, www uh, That's That'll take you to the whole series, Mastering Skills with the Wooden Boat School. Give you all the information. And I also want to uh, just uh, thank Truman Forbes with OS Media based in Nashua, New Hampshire, because Greg and I would never even have been able to do this without Truman's help. And they just a, rem uh, a remarkable videographer. Just yeah, yeah, amazing. young guy and just really cool what uh, what they're doing. And uh, he was a real, he has been and will continue to be a real pleasure to work with. That's Greg Russell and Rich Hillsinger. The website is woodenboat.org. Next, 
You may not know it, but for many years, Mike and I have been MCs for the Boatyard Dog Trials every August at the Maine Boats and Harbors Show. Except last summer, of course. And for the same reason, not this year either. But the show is still going on. Maine Boats, Homes, and Harbors publisher John Hansen explains. August 13, 14, and 15 in Rockland as a normal place. Uh, we are doing uh, uh, a few things differently than we have traditionally done. Uh, one is uh, we're not doing Boatyard Dog this year, which is maybe the reason why I thought there was no Sunday, because for many people, you know, Boatyard Dog was Sunday at the show. <laughs> but uh, when we were planning the show, we didn't even know if we were going to have one. But then we were thinking if we were going to have one, what stuff do we have to do to make it socially distant? And one of the things that the Boatyard Dog did was put people together cheek to jowl. And so we said, okay, well, not this year. We can't do that. And then, of course, you know, uh, in June or so, we said, oh, my God, this is crazy. We, you know, we should have done it. But by that time, it was too late for us to pull it all together. Um, well, you know, looking at it now, it's probably a good thing. Looking at, looking at it now, it's, it's just as well that we didn't. And one of the other things that we did was that we realized that, you know, we are predominantly an outdoor show, but we had a uh, huge tent that we used to call the big-ass tent that had 54 uh, exhibitor booths in it. And uh, I eliminated that this year, which means we're down 50 booths. But that tent was just so big and had so many people in it. And I never really liked the airflow in it in the best of times. So <laughs> we, um, we said off with its head. But, you know, there's still lots of boats in the water and there's exhibits on land. And uh, I think it should be fun. The thing that I'm really most excited about this year well there's a couple things is um we were going to do this last year for the bicentennial we were going to do a, a special free exhibit in Bowie park called 200 years of main boats and of course we couldn't do it last year so we're doing it this year and it will be an exhibit that will be open to the public uh, all three days We've moved our, our gate inboard uh, a little bit, but it will have an exhibit that starts out with a birch bark canoe and uh, ends with the 3D printed boat from the University of Maine. And so it, it shows a tremendous arc of, uh, of uh, what, you know, what boats we use. Thing that I'm most excited about of this year's show is that we're opening up Bowie Park for free and we're doing an exhibit called 200 Years of Maine Boats. And it starts out with a birch bark canoe and it ends up with a 3D printed boat that the University of Maine did. It's going to be pretty cool. And uh, it's the, uh, the 
two guys who have done the real heavy lifting on organizing this have been Ben Fuller, curator emeritus of Penobscot Marine Museum, and Dave Cockery, the president of the board of the Apprentice Shop. These guys trying to identify where boats are and cajole owners into giving them to us. And uh, it's been um, it's been quite an adventure. And uh, so it's, it, you know, it's going to be great. And what's really going to be wonderful is after the show is all over to have the people write into us or call in and say, you jerks, how come you didn't have, the, <laughs> you know, the Southport spud whistle skiff, you know, I mean, how could you have missed that one? And uh, so that, uh, you know, that ought to, <laughs> That ought to keep the letters to the editor section flowing for, for quite a few months. Yeah. Because uh, John, you said no entry fee. No, all are welcome to the uh, 200 years uh, of main boat section of the show. The uh, admission for the rest of the show will be uh, pushed uh, up to where the lobster uh, cooker is. And uh, the, the food court will be open to the public too. You know, it's um, it really is something that, that we wanted and the city of Rockland donated the space so we don't have to pay for it. And we got a $4,000 grant from the main commission for the arts. And we really wanted to have everyone get a little idea what, what their boat heritage was. And, you know, whether or not we did as good a job as we could, who knows, but we, you know, we gave it, gave it a good shot. So, uh, and, you know, we're limited. We can't put like it, it would have been uh, I tried to get like a B-40 uh, to be in there to be, a, you know, because it was the first big yeah. uh, fiberglass cruising auxiliary. But we couldn't find one to put in. And then we had a Pilot 35, but it got sold last week. So, I mean, it was this, I tell you, this year has been really difficult with the. Um, the supply chain issues that boat builders have had uh-huh. and the unbelievable uh, marketplace that, that has been going on. I mean, people are buying boats left, right, and center. Uh, if you're interested in buying a used boat, I think maybe next year or two years from now might be a really good year. <laughs> because there are a lot of people buying boats that have never had boats before. And um, sadly, the, uh, combination of mama blowing lunch a few too many times yeah. and the hard bills may uh may be some good boats out there in the marketplace when i was a teenager i went on the neighbor's uh sailboat and they sold the damn thing bought a powerboat but we boys put our money together and got an old uh woody for a hundred bucks we tried to fix her up in buddy's barn i always remember all the water pouring out of it we kept it at cousin's island it was about a uh seven mile bike ride from where we were didn't have a dinghy swam out to it and if you left it for more than two days it would be a wash okay so we sailed that thing a lot for a few summers when we were young teenagers camped overnight in the islands and just had a hell of a time one uh, afternoon we're in the handy boat in falmouth and across the boat across the dock from us is a bermuda 40 with a couple aboard that may have been chartering they saw a boat full of happy boys. We saw a Rolls Royce with beautiful people on it. Okay. Yeah. We know what Hinkley's were. Yeah. They had us to lunch. She made 
peanut butter and mayonnaise sandwiches. I've never had one before since. I didn't like it. And, uh, you know, I haven't forgot it either. And uh, went off to college in Nova Scotia, stayed as a uh, happy hippie learning to be a carpenter for a little while afterwards, kind of an illegal alien thing. When I had to leave Nova Scotia, I came back to Maine. I didn't know where to go and what to do. So I had for the Hinkley Company. Got a job building B-40s. Then joined the service department. Now here I am. So let's go back to the uh, 200 years of Maine boat building and start with the birch bark canoe. Who made that? Um, I believe uh, it was David Moses Bridges, but I could be wrong. Do you yeah. remember David? Oh, the late Gray. Yeah. yeah. Friend of ours. Yeah. He, and, I, and I think David built that one, but it's, uh, it's the one that's on display at Penobscot Marine Museum. So, uh, and nice. I, yeah, I'm pretty sure that's there. And then uh, right next to that um, in the entry will be the um, replica of the small launch that the George Weymouth crew went from like Teal Island and Muscungus Bay up to uh, at least the mouth of the Penobscot in 1605. And so that's going to be kind of, you know, the, the, the yin and yang of what the boats were, you know, the, the fast Indian canoe and, and the uh, fairly burdensome British version. Uh, yeah. But I have no idea how it's all going to come out. Uh, David and, and Ben are laying it out as we speak. And uh, we've gotten the signs written and, you know, it's, um, it's, it's putting a museum exhibit together outdoors. It's, it's, it's going to be kind of interesting, yeah. but it, it should be fun. So come on down to the show. I think it'll be fun. One of the other really cool boats that's going to be at the show is, uh, have you heard about coastal rowing? It's a new Olympic sport. No. It, it was going to be in the 2024 event, but it's been pushed back to 2028. And the Olympics now are trying to do all their sports for TV, right? So this is a a rowing event, sliding seat rowing event that's held in salt water. And it starts out with the Le Mans start on the beach. The people got to run into their boats. Then they row a triangular course with waves and mark turning. And then they come back and they row like hell and they land on the beach and they got to run up and cross the line. But the boats are so different than traditional rowing shells because, hey, they're sailing, they're, they're rowing in rough coastal waters. And one of the chief proponents, designers of these boats is going to be showing off his newest uh, race boat at the show for the first time. So that's oh. going to be kind of exciting. Will he be there also? He'll be there also. There's a guy named Ben Booth. And hmm. uh, so, so that's kind of exciting. That will about pull down the sails for another boat talk. Radio EcoShock is up next at 4 o'clock. Don't forget about the Winter Harbor Lobster Boat Races August 14th and 15th at Pemaquid, both starting at 10 a.m. John says Winter Harbor should be a good race because the top prize there is a new motor. 
You can watch from the town wharf or Fraser Point. Sunday's race should also be good, since there is a $1,000 prize for anyone who breaks either the gas or diesel speed record. John says Fort William Henry is a good place to watch that race. Plus, it's an interesting place to explore. Weather calls for a chance of scattered thunder showers Saturday and partly cloudy Sunday. There is no admission fee to watch either event. Keep your eyes on Wild Wild West. Blue Hill Maritime Heritage Festival is Saturday, August 21st, 10 a.m. to 4 p.m. at the Blue Hill Waterfront with many displays, music, food, demonstrations, and a children's art exhibit. And, of course, the Main Boats and Harbors show is August 13th through the 15th at the Rockland Town Docks. I'm Alan Sprague. Thanks for supporting non-commercial community radio. Y'all stay safe. I survived the sales, sir. I survived the pitch, the fish, and take some home to lie, sir.